podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part six in our series, Good News People in a Bad News World. Today we'll be concluding this series we've been in for the last few weeks with a message entitled, Praying the Good News. We're looking at how the Lord's Prayer shapes our understanding of the gospel and forms us to be good news people. And just a reminder, if you haven't come out to our Wednesday night Celebrate Recovery service, it's one of my favorite places to be lately. It's every Wednesday, 7 o'clock, Celebrate Recovery for anyone with hurts, hangups, or habits. So make plans to join us. Let's head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard. Hey, why don't y'all stand with me real quick? We're going to, we'll get into the message by praying the prayer that inspired the last song that the band led us in this morning. The Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. You got it in your bulletins, but we also will have it up there on the screen as well. So let's pray this together on three. No. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You can have a seat. I want you to imagine a scenario for a moment. Imagine that you've been invited to the home of some rich, famous, powerful person. I know it's a stretch, but imagine <laughs> that you've been invited to, to a dinner party at, at, a, at a, a, a huge estate, and you, you pull up to the front gate, and you drive through, and you go down a long path a long driveway, and and as you drive, you begin to see this massive castle of a home open up before you, and the place is big, and there's so many people coming for the dinner party that you find you're having to park around the backside of this massive home, and by the time you finally get out of your car, you have, have lost track of where the front door was, so you just go to the nearest entrance that you can find. That entrance is at the back of the house. You walk in the back door, and and as you do, you find yourself in some kind of storage room with some trash cans and some uh, scraps thrown in them, and you, you smell the smell of foods cooking. You walk through another door. You find yourself in the kitchen. You realize, I've obviously come in the wrong way, but I'm kind of committed at this point, so I will go ahead and make my way through the kitchen 
And so you make your way through this bustling kitchen where the chefs and the servants are preparing the, the meal that you will eat later that evening. You find your way out of the kitchen and you begin to explore the rest of the house, going through this great dining room. And finally, you end up at the entry hall where you see the host of the party that night is looking out the front window expectantly for you. And you speak up and say, hey, and he turns around, somewhat surprised to see you there, wondering why the heck you went in the back door, but glad you were there. I want us to keep this kind of picture in our, in our minds because when it comes to the prayer that we just prayed, the Lord's Prayer, oftentimes, I think, without even noticing it, we pray this prayer backwards. Now, we don't do this consciously, but I think when you look at the types of the prayers that people tend to pray, and I would include myself in this list, it's of the variety of, oh God, please forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And by the way, can you, can you give me a little help to stop sinning right now? Oh God, thank you for showing me how to live. Please help me to do it. Oh God, please give me enough food for today and clothing, enough to feed my family. Oh God, please bring justice to your world, which needs it so badly. Oh God, please heal Ben, Annie, David, Frank. These are good prayers, no doubt. And they're the type of prayers, the garden variety, that we all find ourselves probably praying multiple times a week. But these prayers have a lot more to do with the last parts of the Lord's Prayer than they do with the front part of the prayer. We find that, that when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, often we are starting at the back part of the house and working our way in. Sometimes, unfortunately, we get so distracted by the other rooms in the house that we never actually fully meet the host of the party. We never find the whole point of the house. And so today we're going to, we've been in the series, Good News People in a Bad News World, where we've been exploring what the good news of the gospel is. And today we're going to look at what it means to pray the good news. Jesus gave us a prayer in Matthew uh, 6, 5 through 13, which we've just read. But this prayer, it, it, it's, I, I really believe it's a way that prioritizes things in our lives around the purposes of God in a gospel-shaped way. It's a way of keeping God on the throne in our lives and being formed by his work in our lives than the tyranny of the urgent. Have you ever been formed? Have you ever been uh, dictated in your life by the tyranny of the urgent? I mean, probably plenty of you this whole week has been that, you know? A lot of times we find ourselves in places where we are just reacting we're reacting to everything that is popping up in front of us. We are being formed by the anxiety around us, by the whirlwind that is stirring. Jesus has given us a prayer that will actually form us on the inside and give us peace and, and, and give us a bit of that good news within that will actually change us regardless of how our circumstances might find themselves. So today we are going to look at the Lord's Prayer in reverse. And then we'll get back to, to reading it uh, from the top again. So if we look at the Lord's Prayer in reverse, uh, in your outline, I've broken it down into a few different uh, 
areas. The, the first one, which would be the last one of the prayer, is the prayer for help. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Another way you could put it is don't bring us into the great trial, but rescue us from evil. How many of you have ever heard that saying, there are no atheists in foxholes? Right? It's really not probably exactly true. Because I, I think even if you're an atheist, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that an atheist praying in a foxhole is really exercising extreme belief in God. It's more like covering your bases <laughs> at the last moment. Uh, I've been reading, uh, a, 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 well, actually listening to the audiobook of uh, Unbroken. Did anybody see that movie or read that book? Um, Louis Zamperini, he was a, a world-class Olympian. Uh, runner uh, poised to break the four-minute mile before he got uh, into the army during, I mean, the Air Force during World War II, in which his plane was shot down and he spent 47 days stranded in the Pacific on a on a raft, just almost dead. And then he got caught by the Japanese and put in prison camps and tortured and just almost died multiple occasions over the next two years before finally the war came to an end. But Louis Zamperini, he did not grow up a religious person. He'd only been to church a handful of times in his life. And one of the times he went to church was, you know, he got ran out of church by the priest uh, for doing something wrong. And so he wasn't somebody who was terribly religious, but he found himself praying all the time. When you read the book, he talks about how he spent his days praying. And his variety of prayers were of the, oh, God, help variety. (laughs) Help. It's probably the most primal prayer that human beings pray all over the world, whether they believe in God or not. Every human being will pray this prayer multiple times in their life. Help, God. I talk, I've said this before. When I first got married, I came into marriage as someone who had been in ministry for many years, and I thought I knew everything about how marriage was going to be and found out within a few days that I was clueless and that marriage was actually a whole lot harder than I could have ever imagined. And my prayer life, which up to that point had been very uh, long, you know, I'd get up every morning and have these very long, quiet times where I'd be praying, it got whittled down to, oh, God, help. (laughs) And sometimes it was just help. (laughs) Uh, It's the most basic prayer that, that we humans pray, and we pray it usually in a time of crisis. The other part of this prayer is keep us from temptation. And I believe that, that for most, most people, when we get to this line in the prayer, we somehow think that God is out there, far removed, kind of watching down on us, making sure that none of us has too good of a go at life. <laughs> You know, and, and so we're just going, we, we kind of see that every bad thing in our life, God is somehow behind it. So we're like, God, you know, a little help. <laughs> Please don't do that to me. And if you get stuck in this part of the prayer, which is where a lot of people get stuck, the only good news of the gospel is simply uh, a mere respite from the pain. The only type of good news is that the pressure might stop, at least for a moment, so you can collect your bearings. But if you're stuck in this type of prayer and this type of faith, as soon as the pressure lifts off, that's the, that's the end of your prayer life as well. <laughs> so the, the first one in going backwards is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is an important part of the gospel, but it's only one room in the house. And certainly not even the most important room. So working our way backwards, we come next to 
forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We like that part about forgive us our sins, don't we? But most of us forget that second part. We kind of just, oh, nah, he didn't really mean that. Forgive us as we forgive others or as we have forgiven others? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I want God to show me the same kind of mercy that I've shown others, actually. But forgive us when we look at this. This was an important part of Jesus' ministry. Everything that Jesus did was characterized by releasing people from guilt and shame, freeing them from their sins. And a lot of people, when it comes to the gospel, they, they, they say the whole gospel comes down to basically this. God has forgiven us so that we can go to heaven when we die. And if you go to most, probably, I'm, I wouldn't say most, but a whole lot of churches in the United States, that's the whole gospel right there. God has forgiven you because of what Jesus has done so you can go to heaven when you die. And while forgiveness is absolutely important, not just to us, but for us to live the life of the kingdom, again, it is only another room in a much larger house. Forgiveness is part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. Next, we come to the prayer for bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, Jesus actually told his disciples, ask your Father in heaven what you need. You know, I mean, he he encourages us to do that. And so we see that even this part of the prayer and the Lord's prayer, it was very much anchored in the ministry of Jesus. How many times did Jesus get in trouble for breaking bread with the wrong kinds of people? It's, it's all over the place, by the way. I mean, people got livid at Jesus because he's breaking bread with the wrong kind of people. We also see that Jesus cared for people who were hungry. On several occasions, he did miracles to feed thousands of people uh, by multiplying basically a sack lunch. A lot of people, when they come to this part of the prayer, they would be tempted to say that, that this impulse to feed the hungry, that this is actually the full gospel right here. We need to take care of the, the hungry in our community. And we do that, by the way, here. We, we've, we've, this last uh, bag hunger thing we did, we filled up almost this entire place in here with bags of food that we collected for hungry people in the community. But the temptation is oftentimes when we, when we focus on this to the exclusion of the other parts of the Lord's Prayer, we end up with a gospel that is very pragmatic and practical, that cares for the needs of others, but that neglects spirituality totally. This would be modern liberalism uh, in, in the church, just kind of totally rejects the spiritual components. It's all purely practical. Does God want hungry people fed? Yes. He does, by the way. This means yes. Does God want hungry people fed? Yes. (laughs) But we can't divorce the pragmatic, practical needs of ourselves or others from the spirituality of the rest of the prayer. Now we move backwards into the here and now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we approach the Lord's Prayer backwards, then we are bound to make the mistake of reducing God's kingdom to God doing what we want him to do. 
And that, of course, is to turn God into an idol, a tame puppet that we invoke to get our own way. And the whole point of the Lord's Prayer, at the heart of Jesus' good news, is to see everything the other way around. See, this is kind of where we're getting at this morning. If you start at the back side of the prayer, if you start with, help me, forgive me, feed me, then basically God just becomes an idol. Or as Dallas Willard would put it in the Divine Conspiracy, he becomes a cosmic bellhop at your beck and call. God, feed me. Help me. Forgive me. Those are all good things, and God encourages us to ask him. But when we come to this part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, God, you do this thing your way. Not my way, but your way. Up to this point, working back through the prayer, we have focused on our own needs. Now we look up and see the larger plan. It's time for God to become king here and now. The good news is that the living God is indeed establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through the finished work of Jesus and is inviting people of all sorts to share not only in the benefits of this kingdom, but also in the work through which it will come to its ultimate completion. We are asking God to bring his kingdom his way. Now, here's the deal. If you go back to the first century when Jesus came into the world, um, the, the, the very smartest people of the time that were studying biblical prophecy and, and had it all figured out of what the Messiah was going to look like, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they missed the Messiah. That's why I say when it comes to like biblical prophecy like Revelation, I don't think it's good to use the Bible as a particular predictive text for trying to figure out end times events. I think that's silliness because I think if we can learn one thing from the Bible, it's like the people who knew the most about interpreting end times events missed the Messiah when he showed up (laughs) because they were still expecting, even though they were reading their Bibles good, they were expecting that the Messiah would come like a military leader and he would beat people down and run the Romans out of there. Instead, they got a humble son of a carpenter who rode into town on a donkey who died a gruesome death on a cross. He did not look like what they were expecting. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, God, you bring your plans to bear in this world the way you want, not the way I expect you to. If I get a vote in this, I'll ask for things to be the way that I want them. (laughs) But God, you do what you want to do. This is a prayer of humility. Saying, God, he, these are my needs, but ultimately, your kingdom come. And, and here's the other thing that we miss oftentimes. We pray this prayer over and over, but usually, instead of meaning your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we actually mean your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven as it is in heaven. Oftentimes, we, we, we actually push the kingdom of God off to the, the, to the hereafter, but Jesus says, no, we pray for God's kingdom to come Where? Here, on earth, God, you break in. You bring your rule and reign, your justice, your mercy, your love, your compassion, your healing, your freedom. You bring it right here on earth the way you want, not the way I can conceive of it myself. Next, we move to hallowed be your name. 
or honor your name. This prayer aims to celebrate the summit of the good news. The good news isn't primarily about us receiving help when we need it, though that's included, or rescue when we're under intense pressure, though that comes too, or forgiveness, though we need it and will be given it as long as we too forgive other people, or food for the journey, though that will be provided as well. It isn't primarily even about God's kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, though that is central to the prayer. The good news is primarily that God, the generous God, the loving God is being honored, will be honored, has been utterly and supremely honored in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why when Jesus was facing the hour just before going to the cross, where he wondered whether he sh- should really say, Father, save me from this moment, he didn't. Instead, Jesus says to his Father, glorify your name. See, everything that we look at in the life of Jesus was bringing glory to God. The way he lived, the way he talked, the way he acted with other people. It was a way of bringing honor to his heavenly father, hallowing his name. And finally, we come to the last words, which are really the first words. (laughs) Our father in heaven, our heavenly father. This perhaps... Uh, catches some of the best news that we can find in the whole of the prayer. Jesus was announcing a new reality, breaking in us on a surprised world. There were times that the Jewish history that the Jewish people had actually called God Father on a few occasions, but Jesus is actually saying, uh, as John would put it, uh, John the Apostle put it, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. You know, think about the ways that Jesus could refer to God. Jesus could have referred to God as almighty, as king. Jesus could have referred to God as creator. He could have referred to God as ruler. But what was Jesus' favorite term to refer to God as? Father. I mean, think about that. Jesus actually said, have you ever wondered what God was doing before he created the whole world? Like, like, what was God doing? Jesus says, before the foundations of the world, the Father was loving the Son. Jesus' favorite term for himself was actually Son. <laughs> so somehow, and, and understand, like, I mean, we have our earthly definitions of what father and son are. And God had, I mean, Jesus to communicate who God is had to use familiar terms to us. So he used the word father to, to reference God. He used the word son to reference himself. But what this says is that we approach this prayer not as outsiders who are trying to appease a, a capricious deity who is interested in our sacrifices. We're not trying to impress some deity with all the hoops that we can jump through and how good we can tithe or pray or read our Bibles and stuff like that. 
Rather, we enter this prayer as sons and daughters. We're in the family. We're, we're kids of our heavenly father in heaven. Now, I know that word father in here. It, I know for many of you, it's a word that has baggage. And I've talked about that before. But we need to know that, that what Jesus said is, he said, if you want to know the father looks like, look at me. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Son only does what he sees the Father doing. So when you see Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery, what are you seeing? You're seeing the Father. When you see Jesus touching the lepers and the outcasts, what are you seeing? You're seeing the Father. When you see Jesus loving the unlovely and touching the untouchables and showing mercy and compassion, when you see Jesus with his last dying breath forgiving those who put him there on the cross, guess who you're seeing? You're seeing the Father. And so this prayer starts off not with my needs for help, not with my needs for forgiveness, not with my needs to to, uh, have bread today. It starts out with, I am a child of a loving, compassionate, merciful Father in heaven. I'm in the family. That's good news, people. Like, like that's the ultimate thing in this prayer. It's the first couple of words. The, the, the ultimate truth of the gospel is captured in these first few words. Our Father in heaven. See, if we work our way backwards, we begin understanding that each line of this prayer actually gives a context for the next line. Our Father in heaven gives us a context for uh, hallowed be your name, which gives us an understanding now for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which then gives us a context for having our own need met. But if we start on the other end, we make God into something he never was. We treat God the way pagans do. You know, people all over the world sacrifice to the gods all the time. My kids, if, if my kids started sacrificing stuff to me, that'd be weird. They're my kids, you know? I love them. But I'm not looking for them to do a whole bunch of stuff to, to make me love them. I already love them. And I'm, I'm just a sinful human being. How much more does your Father in heaven love you? Imagine the confidence that you'd have if you started the prayer from the doorway of the house than from the backside. Imagine how that might shape your life. Praying this prayer then and praying it in the right order allows us not only to know and believe the good news, but to become a part of it ourselves. See, this is how the prayer shapes our life. As we pray these things, as we immerse ourselves in the reality that we are children of our Heavenly Father and we are living to honor Him and that we are asking His kingdom to come, His will to be done the way He wants, and then moving on to our needs, guess what? We are shaped by that reality. We're conformed to the image of Christ within I'll close with this last quote from N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar. He says, The foundation of the good news is that through Jesus, the ultimate human being, the true image bearer, the living God has done this once and for all. It has been done. It doesn't need to be done again. The world is a different place because of Jesus. 
But when people believe this and find their own lives transformed by that belief, they are in turn recruited to be a part of the continuing image-bearing work. They become transformed people who are then transforming the world. They become healed people through whom God brings healing to the world. That's good news, people. You know, when I look around at at things I've been seeing in this church lately, like, like Celebrate Recovery, what am I seeing? I'm seeing people who are experiencing freedom and healing and community And now they're being involved in in, in bringing freedom and healing to other people. That's the way God set it up. See, the good news isn't, the gospel is not just something that we're supposed to believe up here so that we can get, you know, when we come to St. Peter in front of the pearly gates, say, "Ah, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I've got the right answer for the test. The good news is actually something we are to be transformed into, that we would be calm the very good news of God to the world, that we would incarnate the good news just the way Jesus was God incarnate. We would be transformed and transform the world around us. Yeah, it is good. I'll say amen to myself. That was good. (laughs) So I just want to challenge you in the in the coming weeks, you can take this simple prayer. I, I, I use the Lord's Prayer a lot of times just as a, as a simple outline for prayer. But just start at the beginning. You know, one of my first thoughts that I, I start out the day with many times is just the simple reality of uh, our Father in Heaven. And I just try to think about that in my opening moments of the day, that God, I'm your Son. I'm loved by you. I'm accepted by you. I'm in the family. Um, there's nothing I got to do to earn your love today, and there's nothing I can do that's going to take your love away. I thank you that I start off the day with mercy and compassion in the family. And I just let my first thoughts of the day think on that. Now, about 15 minutes into it, I'm going to get down to God help. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Give me what I need today. But it's amazing when you start from the place of focusing on God the Father, starting at the beginning of the prayer, it anchors you. It gives you peace. And so now you're not dominated by the tyranny of your own needs. Now you're moving into your own needs from a place of stillness and quiet love. Why don't you all stand and let's pray this prayer one more time together. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm just going to close with Jesus' prayer. I got nothing to add. (laughs) If you'd like to stick around and get some personal prayer, feel free to do that. We'd be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Thank you for coming. See you next week.